Hi, welcome to episode 42 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. For this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the ongoing U.S. dollar rally, Asian currency weakness, and their potential feedback effects on the Fed. The title for this week's episode is Peak USD, It Will Depend on the RMB. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Okay, Greg, May 10th, 2022 is the date and we're just over a month into Q2 and looking at the Fed's broad trade-weighted index, it, it's moved about 4% higher in just over a month. Uh, and what's interesting about that move is that it can be partly blamed on the Fed, uh, its accelerated tightening plans and, and general hawkishness, but the move looks like it has been even more heavily driven and affected by declining risk sentiment. So a number of higher beta G10 currencies have underperformed uh, in this move, and so has the Asian currency space, notably a 6% drop in in the renminbi which is a bit less than the decline in the yen so that's a very big drop in in rmb terms Stephen, I, I think that you're right that the us dollar rally in the first few weeks of this quarter was driven by fed hawkishness just going back to march 31st as an anchor date at that point the ffz2 uh, fed funds future so so that's the uh, future that prices in the overnight rate at the end of december um, so right, you know, af- after the December FOMC. At any rate, the implied rate from that future was two spot 25 on March 31st. By the time we, we got to April 20th, the pricing of rate hikes had added another 25 basis points. And so the implied rate was uh, 250. O- over that uh, 20 day interval or so, the Fed's broad nominal U.S. dollar had appreciated about 1.3%. Uh, in conjunction with that 25 basis points added to the curve. Okay, so advancing forward in time between April 20th and May 3rd, uh, so this is the the day before last week's FOMC, FFZ2 added another rate hike. um, And the applied rate peaked at 2 spot 7-8% on last Tuesday's close. So adding this incremental 28 basis points to the curve, that came along with 2.5% of U.S. dollar index upside. Since May 3rd, we've seen the dollar index rally another uh, about 0.6%, even though FFZ2 has now taken 18 basis points worth of red Fed rate hikes out of the curve over the past week. So I look at all that and say that, yeah, the, the first third or so of the U.S. dollar rally was what I would call a benign Fed on rally. Then the second phase is what I call a risk-off dollar rally, but you know, arguably the risk-off was coming from the market worrying 
about the Fed on. For the last phase since the FOMC, this is just a pure risk-off rally, not caused by Fed angst so much. It's caused about angst about other things, like falling equities and falling currencies. Yeah, I suppose one of the factors, Greg, that that stands out across FX markets is how cheap commodity currencies have remained relative to their fundamentals. Uh, I think we can definitely link this to the risk-off move in the dollar, uh, which has spilled over to equity markets and dragged Asian currencies lower, pretty much like you just said, Greg. Uh, so let's drift into the Asian currency space now. And you know, first off, I fully admit to not expecting as much weakness in the RMB as we've seen thus far. But as we got into mid-April, when dollar China, if you remember, was hovering a bit below 640, it started to occur to me that there was a significant buildup in market expectations for policy easing from the PBOC, and that if the central bank underwhelmed and opted for a more gradual pace, which it ultimately did, we were more likely to test levels above 640, uh, given the prospect for non-resident investors to be uneasy about re-adding to RMB exposures without more aggressive easing from the PBOC, given the weakness we had already seen in other Asian currencies. Uh, and so I covered the RMB from that angle in the FX Daily on April 14th. And now here we are in dollar China at 675. Dollar RMB at 675. And alongside that, Aussie USD at 69 cents. I'll admit to being shocked about uh, both of those things. So with that move to 675, Stephen, I just wanted to point out when it all started. It started on April 20th. That was the date that Indonesia's finance ministry and central bank released uh, on behalf of the G20, what I would call a, a watered-down communique that didn't address what had to have been the two hottest topics of discussion among officials at, at the G20 meetings. And those topics are Fed rate hikes and then the chaotic move in dollar yen. Chinese officials would have left those meetings in DC with the following understandings. First, that the Fed really was going to rip off at least a couple of 50 basis point rate hikes and move as quickly as it could towards you know, at least a 2% base rate. Second, that Kuroda and the BOJ were not going to raise rates or otherwise adjust policies that had caused uh, the yen to depreciate about 10% on the year at, at that juncture. And then lastly, the third thing they would have walked away from the meeting understanding well is that nobody was going to physically intervene in the FX market to slow down the move in dollar yen. So with that understanding, Chinese officials seem to have somewhat stood aside as the RMB has depreciated the 5 to 6% that you, you mentioned, Stephen, over the span of, of just three weeks. So here's my question to you. Why shouldn't they just make it a nice, neat 10% depreciation and let dollar CNY move back up to uh, 7.00? That would simply put the pair right back to where it was in December 2019, before the pandemic led to a roughly two-year period of, of a strong RMB. What do you think? A move to 7 can be ruled out, Greg, not completely. Uh, and we can do the cost-benefit analysis around that size depreciation in the RMB shortly. But what I think, Greg, to answer your question, is that the move in the RMB has elements of a market-induced realignment and a policy-induced one as well. So both. 
Firstly, there have been portfolio investment outflows this year as non-resident investors have trimmed the overweight exposures to China they built up over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, so the supply-demand balance between foreign and local currency onshore has shifted. The RMB has responded as a result. Um, and, and also note that the PBOC trimmed the triple R on FX deposits with local banks in late April, effective this month. So I think that's a reflection of that reality. Um, secondly, China has been encouraging more cross-border transactions in RMB and providing a bit more openness in the financial account. So they have to let the currency adjust flexibly if they want non-residents to continue to view the RMB as a viable reserve currency, especially since RMB debt yields have, have remained weak. They've, they've been declining. Thirdly, in theory, a more attractive valuation for RMB assets in foreign currency terms should eventually attract more inflows when the currency stops falling. The other important fundamental to note Greg, is that unlike other EMs, some of which have high inflation, China's relatively low inflation backdrop is allowing the central bank to diverge from the Fed on policy. So at the moment, right now, the move lower in the RMB is not a distress move. The fundamentals stack up uh, and PBOC is using administrative measures uh, to manage the pace of the depreciation. So back to the cost-benefit analysis of a move to uh, 700 in dollar RMB. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume that China doesn't need to worry about the uh, cost of that move getting out of hand. Chinese officials don't need to worry that in targeting a move to 700, they instead get a move to 750 or higher, because with capital controls and the amount of moral suasion they have uh, over their financial sector, they can stop a move in its tracks whenever they want it to stop. But what they can't control is what happens with the rest of dollar Asia. If dollar RMB goes another 5%, say to 700, all the other ADXY currencies might also weaken 5%. And so might the yen, uh, Aussie, Kiwi, etc., cetera, um, that, that are outside the ADXY. So another 5% in dollar uh, RMB may only give you 1% or, or less in the CFETs index. And in the meantime, uh, you destabilize global equity markets without knowing where that will lead in terms of systemic risk. I think that's right, Greg. In other words, in terms of the costs, if there is a negative spillover from RMB weakness that causes other EMs to experience a tightening of financial conditions or be forced in defending their currencies, China doesn't really get any of the benefits of a weaker currency. It mainly just harms some of its largest trading partners. And then when something breaks, China takes the blame for it. It's tough to know where the threshold between a good and bad RMB depreciation really is though, Greg. If the move is orderly in the RMB, China picks up a bit of competitiveness without triggering that much pass through to domestic inflation. And that's partly because weak domestic demand is curbing import growth. So from that angle, policymakers in China don't currently have to worry about a problem. But if global financial conditions deteriorate for other reasons, maybe that threshold between a good RMB depreciation and a bad one is reached sooner. And on that point, I'll Go back to a factor you mentioned earlier, that a rate hike or so has already been pulled out of the dollar curve uh, and Asian currency weakness 
has likely been partly responsible for that. So let me ask you, can a specific pace of RMB or Asian currency weakness or a certain threshold in dollar RMB spill over to the Fed and impact its tightening plans? I'll tell you what, a 10% in a quarter RMB depreciation would probably raise some eyebrows and, and even some blood pressure readings in Washington, D.C., particularly if that move was propagating to other currencies and adding to stress on equity markets. I came into the FX market during the Asian crisis of the late 1990s. One of the things people in the FX market talked about a lot in that time period was the butterfly effect. This notion that seemingly small moves in financial prices, like those of um, government bonds in Thailand or Danish mortgage spreads, those can ultimately lead to massive things like huge swings in dollar yen, American hedge funds going belly up, and the Fed unexpectedly cutting rates. So bottom line, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend to know the answer to your question with any type of certainty. But off the top of my head, I, I would say this. If the Fed's broad nominal dollar index were to go back to its pandemic high of 126 on March 23rd, 2020, if we were to get to there, then I think the Fed blinks. Now, I'll point out that that's only 5% away. And my guess is that uh, a quick 5% depreciation in the RMB would propagate to other currencies to the point that, you know, it, it would be a 5% dollar index move. So bottom line, uh, on the Fed, speaking for myself personally, I, I think a 50 basis point rate hike is just so baked into the cake for June that I, I can't conceive of them not going through with it. But if we were to get 5% more of China-led broad U.S. dollar appreciation, then I think that maybe um, the Fed might back off at that stage uh, with a dovish hike, if you will, and signal at least that it's done hiking in increments of 50. Those are excellent points, Greg. Um, so I think we can conclude that this new paradigm for inflation we're moving through is proving to be a real headache for policymakers and investors globally. Not really a shock. I think we could see this coming. Uh, but moving back to the dollar, uh, your comments in that last segment make me think there are reasons to believe the move is starting to overextend. Uh, and we haven't even talked about U.S. trade and fiscal deficits yet. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll save that for a future episode. Uh, on that note, why don't we wrap things up here? If you stayed with us for this long, thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. 
Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.